get ready for adventure. Islands of it, man. From the studios to Volcano Bay, this is the Universal Joint, a podcast devoted to all things universal with your host, Jim Hill and Dustin Foods. Welcome to the Universal Joint podcast. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill and... Uh, we're recording this episode on May 1st, 2019, which, if I'm looking at the calendar right, is six weeks and two days out from the grand opening of Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure at Universal Islands Adventure Theme Park in Orlando. And, Dustin, you were talking about how you would just look at BioReconstruct's latest flyover of this new attraction. Yeah, and I think if you're a theme park fan, you definitely want to be following BioReconstruct over on Twitter. Background, he does flyovers of theme parks, uh, showcases the new construction ideas and really great stuff. Even if mm. it's, you know, a new bus loop or Galaxy's Edge, he does a lot of for, for theme park fans that can't get to the theme parks, it gives you a new angle. So what mm-hmm. they did was um, showed a couple of uh, unique angles from the Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure and really cool stuff. We're looking at the track layout, the story elements that are starting to come into full view and even the number of trees that are showing up basically overnight. They did a, a great job and I, I'm particularly interested in seeing how the audio animatronics are going to to feature in because we're we're going to get introduced to a number of Harry Potter the world in this attraction and from Fluffy to just all these different characters and we've talked about it in the past just a sec here for for those who who aren't Potter centric or conversant or whatever Fluffy is what the three-headed dog that we were introduced to in well if you're in the uk it was philosopher's stone yes. if you were in the states it was sorcerer's stone so fluffy's the three-headed dog we have a centaur um we've got mm-hmm. the cornish pixies the newest one that was uh just announced was the blast ended scroots and in supposedly what's significant about this is while i guess hagrid talked about these creatures in the books and again in the movies they were never seen. So Universal is getting to introduce a, a magical creature that we'd never seen before that I think you were describing as something out of Ray Harryhausen, part fire crab, part tarantula. They were saying how it's actually made it into a video game and it's, you oh. know, there's images. But when you talk to people who are big Harry Potter fans, when you're like reading a book, you get a vision based on the words that are like right in front of you. So your imagination goes wild. Well, now all of a Mm -hmm. sudden we're able to see these images that you've only seen in your mind now all of a sudden coming to to life right in front of you. We have a a previously announced opening day for this thing, June 13th. Yep. But if we pivot to the other stateside Universal, Universal Studios Hollywood, we have Jurassic World, The Ride, we don't have an official opening date on that yet. We just have summer 2019, though they did just drop that very cool ad. It's kind of a classic teaser ad in that you don't get to see much that's actually in the ride. They did drop one scene out of the actual physical attraction. I guess it's it's more of a, a projection-based moment in the attraction, but you are supposedly floating by the 3 million gallon tank 
that they're keeping the Mosasaurus in. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the giant sort of plesiosaur meets a crocodile thing from the two Jurassic World movies. And I guess as you're going by in the boat, the thing swims up to, you know, makes a run at the glass, the glass cracks, and then there's a water effect. So you're in the boat getting water sprayed on you. Mm-hmm. I think the thing I enjoyed most of the ad was that it was actually shot on the really for real Universal backlot in Hollywood. It actually starts off in Six Points, Texas, which is one of the oldest places on the lot that date all the way back to the earliest beginnings of Universal. Back when you know, it opened in March of of 1915 it was uh, a 200 and oh excuse me a 230 acre uh well again you know <laughs> you know carl Lemley described it as as a movie ranch uh okay. <laughs> yeah because again he wasn't entirely sure he you know it was like he, he, he we're gonna be in this business but just in case it doesn't work out we have chickens you know in fact that that was the interesting thing is if you went to if you went to Universal Hollywood back in the day, you could pay a quarter, get in, and you could actually stand, for example, on the streets of Six Point, Texas, and watch them shoot a Western. In fact, one of the reasons they call it Six Point was they were the six streets that converge in this Western town. And back when Universal was really booming, mm-hmm. there'd be six different Westerns shooting at the same time. So you pay your quarter, you walk down there, you sit and watch the production, and and in fact, if you were willing to pay an extra nickel, they'd sell you a box chicken sam or get a ch- chicken lunch, and then on your way out, you could purchase a, a a dozen eggs. Mind you, they wouldn't let you buy the eggs going on the way in because I guess they were worried that people would, if they didn't like the movie that was being shot, would pelt the actors. But that's always been the most interesting part of Disney history for me is that that when Walt Disney came out and arrived in L.A. in late July of uh, 1923. By August, he was taking his reels around and trying to get work. And he used, I want to say he had a newsman's pass that he used to get onto the Universal lot. And he, you know, he took his Tommy Tucker's Tooth and, you know, uh, his Alice comedies along to, and the thing is, the folks at Universal were like, that's nice, but we, we don't want that. But Walt was so fascinated by the filmmaking process that after the meeting, he he wandered around the universe a lot. In fact, he so enjoyed doing that, he came back the next three days. Mm-hmm. Once Harrison Bruss Price was telling me the story about being on the Disney corporate plane with Walt and Walt telling him the story about you know, it was walking around the Universal lot where you would be on a Western street and then turn a corner and here's a giant medieval castle looming in the background and across the way is the South Seas for a set for some movie that's being shot. And it was the Universal lot back in 1923 that really kind of informed what was possible for Disneyland in 1955. But anyway, again, you need a ticket to get on, you know, well, again, after three days, the guards kind of noticed that Walt wasn't actually doing anything and threw him out. So he he would have had to have bought a ticket. And and speaking of tickets, you just saw something interesting Costco is doing? Yeah. um, So 
tickets are tickets and people mm. need tickets to uh, to get into theme parks. And one of the, the funny things that comes up is uh, discounts. So um, keep an eye out because you never quite know what retailer will be selling Universal and Disney tickets. So they've announced that Costco is now selling a three visit pass for one hundred and thirty nine dollars. Mm. It's a huge price cut when you look at the fact that a single day ticket is one hundred and nine dollars. Wow. So okay. it's a great value. There are a couple of conditions. Uh, mm-hmm. So pass are valid for 12 months after your first initial visit. You have to advance registration. There's a six ticket limit for every Costco member. And you have to use your first pass by June 15th of 2020. The other thing is that it's not guaranteed admittance on busy park days. So there are blackout dates. But when you're looking at it, just know in advance that you can search for discounts and, you know, buy them in random spots like Costco. And speaking of planning ahead, obviously one of the big things on Universal Studios Hollywood's calendar is their Horror Nights, which this year begin on September 13th. That's, by the way, a full week later than Orlando. They get started on the 6th this year. Hmm. If you went to Universal Studios Hollywood's Halloween Horror Nights last year, one of the more popular scare zones was, what, Holidays in Hell? This was located over in the metro section of the park, and as you wandered through the space, they had an evil elf and Mrs. Claus and Krampus. Not only that, but somebody dressed up as the Turkey Pilgrim, or was a demonic humanoid turkey dressed as a pilgrim? I'm so glad I did not run into <laughs> that. But anyway, there was a hugely popular element of, of last year's Halloween Horror Nights in Hollywood, which is why this year Universal has decided to take the idea and take it, change it from a street a, a scare zone mm-hmm. into a full-blown maze. And so... We're going to get an unhinged Uncle Sam who's having a 4th of July calibration. We're going to have a Santa who adorns Christmas trees with human body parts. And in fact, supposedly as you exit the maze, they're going to continue. I mean, it's got now a Christmas themed scare zone called Christmas in Hell. I think I saw that movie. It's called Santa's Sleigh and it stars Bill Goldberg. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just saying right. some of these, you know, especially the the Santa elements, the stories can be made into some really great horror movies and B comedies. I guess my only problem with this is the the announcement which featured a pretty decayed looking Easter bunny. I want to say it dropped on Good Friday, which probably awkward wasn't the best idea, but it's one thing to have fake injuries it's quite another thing to have real injuries and uh, did you hear about these protesters who went to universal i want to say uh hollywood on monday they were doing what they called an earth day protest so Mm -hmm. they actually climbed the universal globe i guess the police eventually came and uh, arrested the the four gentlemen who were taking part but Getting them off the globe evidently was challenging because at least one of them super glued themselves to the railing. I admire their dedication, but that's kind of a bridge too far for me. Chaining yourself, sure. Super glue? Mm. 
But that said, I, I have to wonder if they were locals, because again, circling back to some of the stuff you've been discovering about admission meeting, uh, media, there's also now Universal Hollywood is offering, what is it, a California neighbor pass? Yeah, with uh, Universal Studios Hollywood, let, let's talk about the fact that they just want to get people to their theme park. So mm. on top of Costco, you can also get what's known as the California neighbor pass. So terms and conditions are all online, but the idea behind it is that you get valid for nine months from mm -hmm. your selected first date. Um, once again, blackout dates are, um, you know, they're all over the place, but you're basically getting a huge pass. It's 175 days of admission for just $10 more than a one-day ticket. So... If you live in California, you want to go online, check this out. Any way to get into the parks at a discount is mm -hmm. always welcome, especially with Jurassic World, the ride coming out and Harry Potter. You're going to spend that money anyway. So might as well, mm -hmm. you know, 175 days. That's not a bad time frame. So check no, out the website. No. Um, that way you're able to be as informed as possible with these uh, these discounts. Well, you're getting your tickets in advance. We were just talking off air a little bit about Avengers Endgame and how crazy the opening weekend of that film is going to be. But another highly anticipated film of 2019 is Hobbs and Shaw, mm -hmm. which is Universal's spinoff of its Fast and Furious franchise. And the first trailer for this was released back in February for the Super Bowl. We've, we've just had the second, or I, I guess that was the teaser trailer. This is the first official trailer. Mm -hmm. Movie itself opens in August, uh, uh, this year, August 2nd, to be exact. From the Universal side of the fence, they must be very, very pleased with the finished film because they just signed uh, David Leash, the, uh, the director of the movie, and his longtime producing partner, Kelly McCormick. And it's, we're locking you guys down. Uh, we're getting a first look deal. So whatever you do we get first shot at. Mm -hmm. So I, have you seen the trailer? It's kind of where Moana meets Fast and Furious. There's there's this amazing scene where Dwayne Johnson goes back. They're going to ground. And so he's taking Jason Straitman and Straitman's sister back to Hawaii. And, you know, they're in a, a situation where they need all of the weapons that they could possibly deal with with the, the the villain who is described repeatedly in the trailer is the black superman mm -hmm. so the, he goes to his cache of of weapons that he's hidden at his mother's house and his mother has gotten rid of all the guns and they've been replaced with classic island weapons from like 10 centuries ago you know hammers and bows and arrows and spears and and it's just so suddenly it's Dwayne Johnson and all of his, his brothers facing off armed with as Maui would have been. I can, in fact, I kept looking for somebody in the background with a giant fish hook. Yep. But going head to head with guys with Uzis. So it's like, this is going to be interesting. Well, and, and Hobbs and Shaw is one of those, uh, you know, anytime you're doing a spinoff, you have, have to be worried about taking story elements from the, the original franchise and kind of creating this whole new world. Mm -hmm. And I think Hobbs and Shaw overall, the, the fact that they went out there during the Super Bowl where, let's be honest, attention is at the, the pinnacle. 
Mm-hmm. That's where you want to start any sort of media blitz because you're going to get people talking about you. It's one of the the best spots to start that conversation. And The Rock is just like anytime you put The Rock in front of a camera, you can't go wrong with that. Going from The Rock to The Hard Rock, uh, The Hard Rock Cafe has renewed its lease at CityWalk, but not just for like, okay, we're going to be here for five years. They renewed it for 20 years. That mm-hmm. They're, they're going to keep the venue, going to keep where they are at the Universal Orlando Resort through 2039. And I'm kind of surprised at that because if you look at the stories associated with the Hard Rock chain recently, we had the Indianapolis Hard Rock restaurant shut down just back in March. Last year, we had the St. Louis one close in August. Hell, we had Hard Rock moved out of its Orlando headquarters in April of last year. That sounds like a company that's its better days are behind it. Where this thing sits in the CityWalk complex, I mean, dead center between Isla's Adventure and Universal Studios Florida, that's a primo piece of real estate. If a chain were shrinking in on itself, why would you make that sort of commitment? But you were pointing out that Perception really isn't reality here, right? Yeah, so. we're, we're looking at a, a chain that's redesigning themselves into a mm. destination. And mm. the Hard Rock in CityWalk is, is a little bit different because they mm. are a full-fledged concert venue. They yeah. are the Coliseum of Rock. That's where mm. people go to see bands and live music and entertainment that you wouldn't see anywhere else. Like, you, you'd mm-hmm. see the the best of the best of mm-hmm. rock and comedy and, you know, Weird Al and everyone that you can imagine. But at the end of the day, it's all about the creating that seamless environment for the hard rock chain. Now, what's interesting is the, the difference between the hard rock cafe and the hard rock hotels. So the mm-hmm. hotels are different. Hotels are popping up all over the place. There's a new hard rock hotel coming to New Orleans There's a new one opening up in uh, New York City on West 48th Street. And obviously, we have the Hard Rock Hotel at Universal Studios or Orlando. It's it's right there. So to create this partnership that is going to last 20 years, that's perfectly Mm -hmm. fine because they are already betting on the brand being successful with their redevelopment. In 2007, Hard Rock Cafe International was actually sold to the Seminole Indian tribe of Florida. They paid $978 million for the thing. That's actually what's behind the headquarters in Orlando uh, shutting down in April of last year because they relocated the headquarters to Davies, Florida, which is much closer to where the Seminoles operate out of. And mm-hmm. as of right now, I mean, this, the Hard Rock is kind of a thriving concern around the globe. I and mean, we're looking at 185 cafes, 25 hotels, 12 casinos. So it's always important to look past the headlines and see what's really going on. And you brought it up, especially in CityWalk being in that transitional phase right now with Big Fire Grill coming in and last year with new brands taking a chance on Universal. I think showing that Universal is thinking not just for next year or five years down the road, this is actually going to attract more multinational corporations with large bank pockets that'll be like, hey, let's try something new. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that with this renewal comes a redesign and a redevelopment for the property. 
I don't know when that will happen, but usually in, you know, when you look at malls and they sign new leases, there's a, a clause in that contract that says that within the first number of months, you have to undergo a redesign. Maybe they've already done that inside with new equipment and made it as a standard for the traveling acts. But mm-hmm. I can definitely see a uh, um, something coming to that location to really spruce it up. If we shrink in our focus a little bit and look just six months ahead, we also had the Universal Orlando Resort announce the dates for this year's holiday celebration, which begins on November 16th. Coincidentally, Dustin, is the day that... uh, It's the day after. So our event, so if you head over to Storybook Destinations um, and search uh, storybookdestinations.com, they have a page that announces the next live event with Jim Hill, and Mm. that's Friday, November 15th, is the first day for our event, and we will be there for the grand opening of the the holiday celebrations on the 16th. Lots of crazy stuff going on during that period. Uh, the opening weekend is always great fun. And in fact, I guess <laughs> when we were picking the date, we were they Universal had not announced this and we were kind of rolling the dice that yeah, we're, we'll be there. That that's <laughs> that that seems right. That you know that's you know going off of last year's information, this would be the date and Thank God we picked right. Okay, we'll have some more details about that event toward the tail end of today's show. And when we get back from our commercial break, we had been talking about Hagrid's Magical Creatures motorbike adventure, but it's important to remember that there used to be another ride there, Dueling Dragons. And when we get back, we're going to talk about that. back and we're in the window of time for the 20th anniversary of Universal's Islands Adventure. In fact, that park officially opened May 28th, 1999. Though if you go online right now, you can see video on YouTube that was shot during the preview days for Islands back in April of 1999. And one of the more intriguing videos is a a gentleman who's walking through the half-mile-long queue for Dueling Dragons. And you were saying, Dustin, again, when you worked down there, you'd get over to Universal a lot, and this was one of your favorite rides, right? Yeah, we always made the joke, when you work for Disney, one of the first things that you do is you go to the online or the store Mm -hmm. for us. We would go to Publix and pick up your annual pass for Universal. Because you always have to escape the bubble. And one of the things that we would do constantly, actually probably once every two, three weeks, is head over to Universal and just play. And Mm -hmm. one of our our favorite things to do was head to Islands. We'd stop in at the Hulk, get a a little bit of, you know, wind in our hair, and then Mm -hmm. head around to Dueling Dragons. As someone who loves the theme park industry, Dueling Dragons... Mm -hmm. The history of it is amazing, but the thrill of sitting in one of those seats, knowing mm-hmm. that you are being hung by a, I get, it was a hanging coaster, so your legs would just dangle mm-hmm. there. It was almost like a dance. When you look at the track layout, it, mm-hmm. you would have two, so there there was the two different coaster tracks. So you had Ice and Fire, 
and then you would basically choose which one you wanted to go on and you know you'd sit down and be like okay this is going to be fun and then you would go up this massive lift hill Mm. but as you would go to the top you'd look out being like okay this is all nice this is fine but they had this little dip before you went straight down and if you were at the back you would get this whip that would Mm. really make you want to do it again but the point of dueling dragons is that you are dueling you are at the exact same speed exact same rate and you are going side by side and there's a, a a chance that during that time you would actually possibly run into each other we were talking within probably feet of yeah well actually there were three moments during the attraction where the coasters would come within 18 inches of one another. When Islands opened up, it was a park that was very heavy on IP. I mean, you had Jurassic Park, you had Marvel Superhero Island, you had Seuss Landing, but the Lost Continent was almost the only land in the entire park where it was an original IP. You know, it was literally what Universal Creative had come up with. Mm -hmm. Lost Continent, in its original iteration, was separated into three separate areas. There was the Lost City. That was home to Poseidon's Fury and Mythos Restaurant. Mm -hmm. You then had Sinbad's Bazaar, where you had the Eighth Voyage of Sinbad stunt show, and you had the Mystic Fountain. And then finally, top of the hill, you had Merlinwood, which was home to the Enchanted Oak Tavern. The Flying Unicorn, which not an opening day attraction that opened the following year in 2000 uh, to make the park a little more family friendly and then as you mentioned we had dueling dragons and that half mile long queue was something that universal operations absolutely insisted on Mm -hmm. because the based on the research they did and the fact that okay we're building this cutting edge dueling coaster we're going to have tens of thousands of people in line. So we're going to need a lot of show to entertain them while they're waiting in that line. Yep. And the conceit was it was a ruined castle yep. that had been overrun by dragons. And I guess as you entered the first room, the foyer of the castle, you encountered these broken stained glass windows, mm-hmm. which then came to life in front of you and told the whole story that evidently there was this lovely land and the two dragons arrived. And I guess the ice dragon was called Blizzrock and the fire dragon was called Pyrock. They had arrived in the kingdom and they they were fighting over the treasure that was inside the castle. Mm-hmm. Merlin the Magician was supposedly the protector of this kingdom. and But the thing is, this isn't Merlin at the height of his powers. At this point... Merlin should be the protector of land, but can't. So the dragons, they can get past Merlin relatively easily. And so they're there to take apart the castle and get down to the loot, but they keep getting disrupted by these humans who are coming in to try to defeat them. And you'd get past the stained glass windows, and then you'd start to get into, like, first there was the room... You had knights that were burned straight into the wall. You get into the Blizzrock room where, you know, you had these knights encased in ice who were plastered to the ceiling. So the thing with elaborate cues is that the idea is that it's all about telling a story. 
Well, towards the end of the lifespan of Dueling Dragons, it was a walk-on. So you would pass through these rooms not realizing exactly the story that's being told. And it's because you're... You are the next person to, to ride this attraction. There is mm. four people ahead of you. But what was amazing was that every so often you would see mm. uh, Universal Creative members walking through the queue. And if you stopped and realized, you know what, the I'll catch the next train, not a problem. They would explain the story to you. And it was amazing getting that opportunity to really hear why things are going it's very similar to you know if you had the chance to walk through animal kingdom with joe Rody. same yeah. type of passion mm-hmm. and the the storytelling ability and knowing that oh if this was lit differently you would see all of these different things that's what i remember from dueling dragons and you know you'll get a little bit through youtube videos but it was a a different different queue that's for sure oh no no absolutely and again this queue space was built i want to say it was a capacity of three thousand an hour because it was well you're looking at 32 passengers per car but if each car is leaving at the exact same time Mm -hmm. that's 64 passengers per car going out and i want to say that they could have three trains on any one track at, at any time they'd be the the train that had just been dispatched, yep. the train that was in the station being loaded, yep. uh, coupled with the one that was just completing its route and was outside of the station but would be coming in as soon as you dispatched. And yep. it was a 2 minute and 25 second long ride. So 3 times 32 is 196 times 2. So what is that? That's 192? People at any one time on the track plus everyone in the queue. Now, what I remember about the loading process was that you would walk out onto the loading platform and you would sit down, they would strap you in, and then the floor would disappear because, keep in mind, it's hanging coaster. But everyone who was looking at this process, that's part of the the excitement buildup, knowing mm-hmm. that the people in front of you, they're there, they're gone. Mm-hmm. And I remember similar to the Hulk, the team members who looked after the load unload were the most energetic people. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of yelling, a lot of countdowns and just making sure that they were on top of it. Because for them, the more cars that go out, the mm-hmm. more people will get to experience this amazing attraction. And they took that to heart. But to double back to the queue for a little bit and to to circle back to your story about the Universal Creative folk, there was a reason they'd take people into the queue to show stuff off. Because there was storytelling in there that was next-gen stuff. I mean, for example, when you got in the room with the frozen knights stuck to the ceiling and the knights that had been burned into the walls... You had couplets that explained what had happened to that night that were very <laughs> much in the style of uh, what Exitensio had written for the tombstones uh, in the Haunted Mansion. Yep. So you had things like, Sir Egbert of Wessex was quite a man, but burned much faster than he ran. Fun stuff like that. But then there were these really great effects that you had to be paying attention to to realize what was going on. Every so often you'd be standing in line and hear sort of this this breath of this giant creature 
and all of the uh, the faux candles in the room would flicker but as the supposedly the breath of the dragon moved through the building and that was supposed to indicate to you you know the dragon is relatively nearby you really need to be careful in here look what happened to these knights and then when you got into the catacombs <laughs> you were now dealing with the thousands of skulls and bones and it turns out that in the mythology of the attraction as the dragons are digging down into the building to get to the treasure get away and and you know the dungeon and thereabouts what you're seeing with all of these skulls the weirdly comic scene set up with skeletons the dragons had done this themselves supposedly evidently dragons had very dark senses of humor so you know they were the ones who for example would would spell out the messages that you'd encounter made out of human bones where it's like don't be a bonehead or enter in peace exit in pieces and then even further as you're getting closer to the actual load area you get into these low dark caves where the walls creep in and as you put your hands out to the wall and you're feeling your way in the darkness that's when you'd realize like are those dragon scales? Yep. And then you'd come around a corner and here's a, an actual dragon's eye sort of eyeballing you as if he's looking through a hole in the cavern. Just at that, this point, you then got the, what, choose your fate. Do you want to go to the fire side or do you want to go to the ice side? Yeah, and I was telling you about the merchandise opportunity that Universal did back in the day. Uh, they sold a pin and the pin had a spinny middle. So it had fire on one side and ice on the other. And you would get to that point and you'd spin the pin. All right, going on fire or ice. Wow. And you know what? That's where it's all about the storytelling and the fact that you can choose which dragon you could, you know, experience this with even better. In the end, that's kind of what happened with Merlinwood, that here was uh, Universal having conversations with J.K. Rowling about doing something with Harry Potter for the parks and they brought her over and they took her to the Enchanted Oak Tavern basically told Rowling we, this is the type of level of we, work we do and you know imagine if we did this with Harry Potter and, and not to belabor the obvious but you have dragons in your books and look across the way here we have dueling dragons and uh, so sure enough when Universal announces in May of 2007 that they're going to be doing something for the parks it works backwards off of Dueling Dragons. This is something I think we lost when they shut down Dueling Dragons to begin work on Hagrid's Magical Creatures motorbike ride. You got in the queue, and it was on the first day of the Triwizard's Terminal. That then locks down the rest of Hogsmeade Village. It's like, wow, I am here on a specific Harry Potter book. But again, now that we've gone to Hagrid's Magical Coasters, the land's kind of been unpinned in time. It can be in any of the books or any of the movies at any time. But I loved coming into the space that used to be the foyer of the attraction, yep. uh, where you had the stained glass, only now you were in the champion's tent, the tournament tent, and there in front of you was the Triwizard's Cup. And it was fun to walk by the Fort Anglia, you know, hanging out there in the woods. So, And in fact, I loved the little bit of continuity that the Fort Anglia is going to be featured in Hagrid's motorbike adventure with the Cornish Pixies. Yep. But I will tell you from a friend who works at Universal Creative that one thing that made them absolutely crazy is that 
they spent $50,000 on a set of tapestries that would just pass the tournament tent section. But because of the way that the lighting people, and I guess this was a note they got from from Ms. Rowling herself. It's like, no, it needs to be darker. It needs to be darker. And so $50,000 worth of tapestries hidden away in the shadows that nobody could see because she insisted on it being dark. More to the point, she insisted on all of those bones being pulled out of the catacomb. So that, for me, always became kind of an interesting part of the ride when you were making your way to the Dueling Dragons. Yep. I know there used to be something in here because this is a lot of empty space. Next time you're walking through the Seas with Nemo at Epcot mm-hmm. and you're in the waiting area for Turtle Talk with Crush, Mm-hmm. And they, they call you into the room. When you're walking through, there's two turnstiles that are counting the number of people that are going through. Look up. Mm-hmm. There are lighting fixtures that can only be seen with flash photography. And it was it's one of those stories that had to do with where the your eyes are going to be looking. And as the attraction goes from one one scene to the next but i love the little hidden spots of things that they designed they built they purchased and they installed and even to this point you can go in with the right angle and the right flash you can still see these amazing lighting fixtures so similar to what we had at dueling dragons Hmm, interesting okay doubling back here the the intriguing thing is that of course you know, when you're re-theming this ride to be uh, Harry Potter-themed. So Pyrock, our fire dragon, now becomes the Chinese fireball. Whereas our Blizzrock, the ice dragon, is now re-themed, rethought as a Hungarian horntail. And uh, Wizarding World of Harry Potter, with its dueling dragons, opens in June of 2010. And by August of 2011, suddenly we're no longer a dueling dragon or as it was known in the potter variation of this ride the dragon challenge and that was because of two accidents that actually happened within two weeks of one another there was 52 year old carlos montalvo from puerto rico who was hit in the right eye while riding in the front seat of one of the coaster cars it's believed based on the wreckage they found below that it was a phone had slipped out of somebody's pocket but it nailed uh, Carlos in the eye, and he was left effectively blind in that eye. Yep. And then two weeks later, 19-year-old John Wilson of Ohio got hit by something. They scoured the ground afterwards. They looked around what was known as the Dragon Lake area, and they never found what hit him, but he got hit in the foot, arm, and face. And at that point, Universal decided, okay, enough of this stuff. And the dueling dragons or the dragon challenge now became a chasing dragon. Yeah. Right. And the very experience that you describe about being in the air with all of these things going on and these near misses, that was gone. One of the reasons that they decided to build the Wizarding World where they built it, the Hogsmeade Village, was the proximity to dueling dragons, you know, so they could make the dragon challenge try wizard thing. But in the end, it was decided, compared to the land itself and compared to Forbidden Journey and the Flying Hippogriff, this isn't pottery enough. We can do better. Yep. To give universal credit, they gave people a couple of weeks' notice that we're going to be shutting down this ride and putting something else in here. 
a lot of coaster fans and a lot of old team members came out to the park that day to ride the ride and but it's it's orlando and a storm came up and they decided in late afternoon to shut down the ride and obviously a lot of people were disappointed but what they decided to do is the park closed at seven that night and they basically told everybody who was hanging around whether it was team members or or annual pass holders or just coaster enthusiasts it's like hang on don't leave just yet and so at about eight o'clock at night when the storm had passed and remember the park has been closed for an hour and they've swept the rest of the park empty clean but all these people who are in inside of hogsmeade village suddenly it's like okay and they throw open the doors and everybody gets one last ride on the dragon challenge which i thought was a nice touch and coaster enthusiasts now they have great fond memories of this attraction in its heyday in fact the i was just talking with somebody who very proudly dug out his copy of the original name of this attraction the attraction was originally called merlin's dueling dragon yep. so you know i guess over time some stuff fell off the table i was talking with somebody who worked with the effects and it was like the thing that broke his heart the thing they had designed from day one for the attraction is when you finally got to the bottom of the queue you were supposed to be in the actual treasure room mm-hmm. and so you're surrounded you know and the queue's going back and forth through the treasure room but on the wall just before you you get to the choose thy fate point they were going to have this projected effect of the dragons fighting oh wow they were going to rig the room with sensor round speakers that that 3d sound thing that universal used back in the day for mm-hmm. movies like earthquake or battlestar galactica so you know when the dragons would one dragon would throw the other one on the ground you'd feel it standing there in the queue and it was like and those are the creatures you're going to encounter just as you go through this door uh-huh. with every theme park attraction on, on on the world you know you have the stuff that you're going to do and then it's like they give you the your bright shiny dime to build it yeah. and it's sort of like okay we're going to cut that well let's let's be honest with bnm uh so the bollinger and and maplard uh technologies the coasters just doing a little bit more research into it and it's the style and personality of the coaster starts with the cue and ends with the feeling that you did something that you want to do again. And I think looking at it, the fact that Universal has used them since doing, you know, as you said, the the Hulk and uh, Dueling Dragons, but they, they also used it for in 2016, it looks like in Universal Studios Japan, the Flying Dinosaur is also a B&M coaster. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So knowing ahead of time, and also B&M did the hyper coaster at SeaWorld Mako. So mm-hmm. there's a style there, and we lose track of <laughs> lose track um, of the, the personality as soon as they go away because we're talking about something that's coming, and it's going to be exciting with Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure. But we like paying homage to what was there before because it all mm-hmm. tells a story. And I think yeah. that's one of the most exciting parts about Islands of Adventure and hopefully something that we'll be able to talk more about at the event this uh, this November. Please talk about the event that's happening in November. So it's um, Friday, November 15th, going all the way through until Monday the 18th. Lots of really cool interactions, live talks, breakfasts and lunches and you know dessert parties. But overall, what we would suggest is head over to storybookdestinations.com. 
Check out the announcing the next live event with Jim Hill. Follow them on social media because as things get closer, there's going to be a lot more conversation about what we're going to be talking about. But at the end of the day, it's going to be a few days of adventuring within Universal Studios Orlando or Universal Orlando Resort and just having fun and getting to spend time with me and Jim and other like-minded people who also listen to this show. And, you know, we all just want to talk theme parks. So I think it'll be fun. And speaking of, of listening to people talk about theme parks and, and other entertaining subjects, Dustin, if folks are looking for you outside of the show, where can they find you? I'm over at StepsToMagic.com, Orlando Trip Planning, Disney Universal. I tell people I write about cupcakes for a living. It's, uh, it's pretty fun. But yeah, any sort of top 10 lists, functional things that you can really, functional and practical things that you can utilize when you're uh, planning a trip as well as when you're actually at Disney and Universal on your vacation. So I'm StepsToMagic.com, Pinterest, Instagram, all over the place. Okay. Uh, my side of the fence, we got uh, the Disney dish with Lentesta. We got fine-tuning with Drew Taylor. We have the Marvelous Disney podcast with Aaron Adams. We also have Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z. And we have I Want That with Michelle Valladolid. Head over to iTunes and rate and recommend the show. Head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. And Dustin and I will be back in two weeks' time with even more Universal-related news. So until then, uh, on behalf of Mr. Fuse, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. It's been groovy having you hang with us for the Universal Joint. Tune in again for this and other great podcasts found on the Jim Hill Media Network.